0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the monthly Guest
1: Dharma series.
2: Welcome again, everybody. Nice to see you here tonight and really great to have Mioshin Kelly back speaking at the center. Uh, many of you know Mioshin Kelly. She's led retreats here for TCBC in the past and has spoken at comic a number of times and now, recently, she and her husband, Edwin, moved to the Twin Cities to be uh, part of the leadership team for Tergar International, Mingar Rinpoche's North American organization and they're leading programs at Pathways on Tuesday nights and a number of other programs uh, that you can find at Tergar.org. the Ocean's recent past, she was the resident teacher at the Forest Refuge, the uh, long-term retreat facility at IMS, Insight Meditation Society, where she was the original resident teacher there. When it began in 2003 or something, I think it was. Sorry? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> something. And uh, led the, the part of the um, teaching team for the three month retreat and a number of other programs at uh, IMS. But anyway, it's really great to have you. Tonight's talk is Center of the Cyclone. So I'm looking forward to finding out how to practice with that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mark. It's really a delight to be here, even if I feel like I'm in a spaceship. (laughs) (laughs) Honored to be able to try this out this evening. Good microphone is very valuable. Everyone here okay? Yeah? So as Mark said, the title of tonight's talk is The Center of the Cyclone. When I got the Common Ground email with that title on it, I thought, hmm, nobody's going to know what that's about. (laughs) So I'm going to leave you guessing for a few minutes. I want to first tell the story of how that title came about. Uh, It stems from an experience I had while I was living in Australia. And actually, it could be that the the word cyclone gives that away because over here it would be hurricane. But living in Australia, they have what's called cyclones. And uh, I was new to living in Australia and had never experienced one before. And so, uh, you know, it, we knew a little bit in advance that this was going to be happening. It was moving in our direction. As you know, with hurricanes, they're somewhat erratic, so anything can happen. But it's happening that it's traveling down the coast towards where we're living. And I felt a little bit of excitement. Oh, it's a cyclone. <laughs> what do you do? I wasn't really sure. But um, you know, I, I'd heard something about taping, putting tape on windows and, and boarding things up and battening the hatches in different ways. And so I thought, well, um, that's what we'll do. So we started doing that. And I was being guided by the radio station. You know, it was telling me what was happening with the storm, where it was, and you know, just suggestions, whatever. And you know, still quite excited. And then it was not too far up the coast and what happens of course, but we lose contact with the radio station. And suddenly it's like being alone with the cyclone coming. And the air got so dense and heavy and oppressive. You know, it just seemed like you could cut the air with a knife and just this whole building up of something. And, you know, it started to feel a little bit scary. And then at one point, the center of the cyclone came right overhead. And I was living right up on, overlooking a beach. When it came overhead, it was everything completely changed really suddenly the sun came out, you know, it was suddenly this gorgeous day, people ran down to the beach and you know, you just forgot what this oppression you'd been through. I mean, you know, just very celebratory. It, I mean the energy just shot up in a sense. You know, the weight was lifted off. And then, you know, rejoicing in that and then <laughs> not long after the other side of the cyclone hit. And sure enough it was uh, you know, pretty wild again. And so how does this relate <laughs> to anything I might say? <laughs> well, it struck me in a couple of different ways, two very different ways related to meditation practice. And the first was seeing that there's been times in my own life, and I, you know, I think I've heard from other people, where we actually try to practice as if we are in the center of a cyclone. And your being in the center of the cyclone can be beautiful states of mind, calmness, peace, tranquility, and you don't want to venture out into the wildness of the periphery of the cyclone. And the way that I had attempted to do that in my own life was to have quite a strong focus to have strong concentration. And that you know was easier in retreat. If I was doing a retreat, you know, the mind could be uh, relatively stable, could practice in a very focused way, and then you know, would often find when I left the retreat that I was out in the midst of the periphery of the cyclone and things were very chaotic. And I felt like practice just crumbled. We can even have, you know, a, a milder sense of that in daily practice, where we sit down and we try really hard to focus, and maybe there is moments of peace, tranquility, but um, and then we get up from that, and then you know, baby starts to scream, um, somebody yells at us, just the multitude of things we have to do in life. And we feel like, our, again, our practice just crumbles away because we can't sustain that kind of strong focus. But then there's another way of seeing the center of the cyclone by way of being, I think, a healthy form of practice, or one that can really translate, be helpful in our daily meditation and the living of our lives. And that's where that center of the cyclone is completely connected to the totality of the cyclone, and yet through really the power of awareness, being able to really have a an equanimous mind that isn't thrown about by you know the throes of life by the raging storms in our experience that come through. This center of the cyclone comes about when we find the capacity to relax, to be present with our experience, and just to really rest in the refuge of mindfulness or awareness, where we really learn to just let that be a mode in which we live life. Where we live letting life be in its totality without trying to keep away those strong winds. I mean, if you just picture being in the center of a cyclone and trying to keep at bay those winds, it's not going to work. You know, and that's our lives too. If we try to keep just just to have nice, peaceful experiences and to keep away the rest of it, I don't know where you're going to find that. You know, like you know, just wherever we go, because because of the cycles of life. You know, even if one day we are in a very peaceful setting, you know, the weather can change, our bodies can change. That change is just something that we have to live with. And so, you know, it's how can we find a stable, upright mind that can weather the storms? Not even just weather the storms, but just rejoice, live totally and completely in the midst of it. And so that's really what I want to talk about tonight how we can do this. And this is really just bringing, um, sharing with you some of the things that I have found very helpful. A piece that this leads into is, I don't want to say that to practice formally, in a quiet way, in a simple manner, isn't helpful. Because it is where we start to really get a sense of the workings of the mind. What it does. How it moves. You know, and what is awareness itself? We begin to taste of this when we sit quietly. So this is something that you know we can look to in our lives. But we want to be able to bring the understanding that we gain from this. Into the midst of the chaos, into you know just the full realm of being a human being in this world. I once practiced with a Zen master. His name was Hogen Daido Yamahata. And one day I asked him, uh, how, "How are we, we doing do? with the sound here?" Uh, okay. Uh, one day I asked him about practicing in the world, and he just looked at me with kind of an amazement in his face, as if, what is the difference between you know, practicing on the cushion and in the world, and as if he could see no distinction between the two. And he said very simply to me, let the world be your map. And so you know, that's the practice I would like to direct us towards so that it is not something that is fragmented from our lives, but is what helps to guide us through our lives to live in the wisest, most compassionate way that we can. What's been very helpful to me? whether it's been sitting on the cushion or in life, is to keep meditation practice very simple. And I have three guidelines that have helped me through many different times in life. Three different phrases that I will just check in with periodically. And they give me a framework for being in this moment. The first is to relax. The second, to be aware. And the third, to stay interested. And I found that this formula can be applied anytime, anywhere. And that it really does give give me something to remember that is useful. So just to take a look at this relax, be aware, and stay interested. So relaxing. You know, this is defined find not something that we can do on demand. You know, it's not like you could say to yourself, just you know, when you're really tight, okay, relax. And then you relax. You know, it doesn't tend to happen that way. But there can be a level where remembering, oh, we don't have to be so guarded. We don't have to be so hypervigilant that actually we can soften and meet this moment. That And this happens with more ease when we aren't carrying a lot of expectation, ideas about what we want to get, where we aren't grasping at our experience, or where we aren't in struggle with it. And so it can happen that when I might remember this word relax but there is com- some kind of struggle happening whether it's physical or mental. And so with that it can be just relaxing with whatever discomfort is there. We don't need to compound it. But so you know it, so just with the body you feel in the body this sense of relaxing, and then you feel, oh, there's actually tightness in the shoulders, in the hips. And then it's not fighting with that. It's not straining. It's just a softening, relaxing and being with as it is. Sometimes when we sit in meditation, we can have a sense of the tension just melting away. You know, it's just like, ah, we arrive in the present moment. And we feel what happens in that moment. That, you know, a sense of receptivity, of an opening, a sense of presence. The mind becomes more collected, less scattered with the relaxation, this quality, we also want to be aware and to just know what's happening in our experience. And awareness is something that is natural. When the mind is undistracted, awareness is naturally there. We can see this quite readily with experiences like hearing. You know, there's a sound that happens. It hits the ear door. Hearing. The, the awareness of hearing. It's there. Yet we didn't do anything. It's just, it's natural. We don't need to try to be aware. But if we relax and notice what's there, awareness is there. It just needs to be recognized. So this being aware can be very natural. That you know, it's just recognizing what's already happening. Sometimes we do use different experiences to help bring a stability to the recognition of awareness. I mean, it can just be the recognition of awareness itself. Not doing anything, not being involved, but just knowing. Sometimes we will use awareness of breath. Awareness of hearing, awareness of thoughts, awareness of emotion. But just using those experiences as a support to be aware. And then there is the element of staying interested. <coughs> to just it's the the kind of interest we're looking at is not a um, interfering interest, but it is an openness of mind. You know, it's very much like listening to someone talking about something that interests you, and how the mind is there. How you just really stay with what's being said, not that that it keeps. It's like it keeps the lights on in the mind. You can relate interest to the quality of investigation, to which is to really uh, be looking at experience in a way that you've never seen it before, or that you know the mind is not habituated. It's it's connecting with experience with a natural intelligence, and this becomes very key. Because without this interest, we find that we just space out. We get bored. We won't pay attention. We won't recognize what's already here. Which means we won't turn up in our lives. And we just you know, get caught in these whirlwinds of thoughts, stories about life, or become very listless, vacant in the way that we live life. But with this quality of interest, it keeps us engaged. It keeps us connected. It keeps us looking in a new way all the time. I found for myself that the asking of questions could be really helpful at times. You know, even like you just feel discomfort. You're not at ease in some way. and just. You know, you can go through that and you find that you're just irritated, you know, you're just out of sorts, but you don't really know what's going on. Or you can feel this discomfort and ask the question what's happening here? When you ask the question, it's not to figure out, but it's to really look and see, you know, what's here right now. We might find a whole mixture of thought, emotion, uh, body sensations, and you know, we just start to see what the mind is reacting to. And it just brings us into our experience rather than cutting us off from what's transpiring. And it's only by coming close, seeing clearly, that we will find our inherent wisdom that we will be able to be with this body-mind experience in a way where there is true understanding. Some questions that I've used in my own practice are things like, do you need to listen in order to hear? And when you ask the question it's like looking in one's experience do you need to look in order to see and then we just check it out another one I found really helpful do you need to focus in order to be aware And, you know it can be you can pick one question and you know just periodically, over days even. remember it. and it just helps guide you to that openness and interest in what's happening. I'd like to share a teaching from a woman named Tony Parker. She was a Zen practitioner for many years and then opened up a, a center in Springwater. And this is from her book, The Wonder of Presence. She says, the essence of meditative inquiry is not obtaining answers, but wondering patiently without knowing. We may have heard spiritual teachers say, the answer is in the question. I used to hear Krishnamurti say it time and time again, but in the beginning I didn't understand what he meant. You cannot understand it by trying to figure it out. It has to reveal itself clearly in the questioning itself when it is open and innocent, a wearing without knowing. And I think this is really key in being with our experience, this last line holds a lot for me. A wearing without knowing. You know, it's all of our constructs, our ideas about life that keep us from knowing life directly and immediately in this moment. And so in order to touch into this, needing to find that openness, interest, a wearing without knowing this can take a kind of radical trust. Because we have to let go of concepts, constructs of the mind that can often keep us feeling safe, but also keep us living within the confines of the known. And that what meditation does is helps us to move into the unknown, the unfabricated, where we can be with life as it is right now. This radical trust may seem daunting to think of, letting go of the constructs that so often keep us feeling safe, that um, it can bring up a lot of fear, anxiety, And yet there is a way that this trust can build. Almost in baby steps. And how is that so? It's where we can relax and let be. Just for one moment. Just relaxing and letting the mind be just as it is. It's quite likely that as we do that, you know, there's just a moment where, oh, it's just this. We didn't go, poof, suddenly disappear. The world didn't suddenly disappear. We didn't find ourselves in the midst of something completely fearful. It was just a moment where we, there wasn't this interfering mind that was trying to figure out, work out got just a purity of awareness. I actually had quite a strong experience on one of my first long retreats where, you know, I hadn't been alone with my mind in quite the same way. I think it was a month long retreat. And it was, you know, a few months before I did it, if you told me I was going to do a month long retreat, I was like, no way. But then suddenly I got very interested in deepening my meditation and went on this retreat. And so just sitting down, it was like the mind went wild. It was—it seemed unbelievable. There was no distractions. And, um, well, and then the stories that the mind would come up with about any little thing that happened was just phenomenal. I mean, it's amazing to watch what the mind does. <laughs> and so there I was. I, I, you know, I'd gone, I think it was three weeks into the retreat before this happened. And then, you know, suddenly there was just a few moments where there was a sound and there was just hearing. There was a thought and there was just thinking. There was a sensation and there was just heat. And it was like, Whoa, I mean, it was just so simple in those moments. And it was just tasting of that center of the cyclone where it didn't matter what the experience was. It didn't matter whether it was pleasant or unpleasant. It was just an awareness of this. And, you know, I just remember that. I felt like I'd been in this this jungle of the mind and just stepping out into the clearing for a moment. And you know, if we can just let these simple little moments just invite them into our lives. And that can be anytime, anywhere. You know, just anytime you remember, relaxed and let be. And then the mind picks up, starts doing something, getting involved, thinking about, fantasizing, reacting to, and then you see that and you go, and you again just relax. And let be. And so, even you're talking to somebody, and you feel, you know, as you're talking, you kind of feel that energy starting to rise, and you're getting kind of, I don't know, into or attached to what you're saying. And then you remember, relax, let be. You're not trying to change anything. You're just turning to the purity of awareness in this moment. And I mean, probably many of you have been meditating for some time, have some experience of this. And we just see how that starts to help us gain confidence. You know, If we think that we have to trust in our willful effort, well, I don't know about your will. Maybe your will is a little better than my will. But my will is not very reliable. <laughs> you know, sometimes it can be strong. You know, you take food for instance. You know, uh, I'm not going to eat sugar today. And i um, you know, get up in the morning, have my breakfast, go through breakfast, no problem. And then a little bit later on in the day, I'm starting to get tired. And you know, then I first thought of the sh- not having sugar today. Okay, I can, I can, I can stay with that. I, I won't have it. And then I get a little bit more tired. And then what do you know? Somebody's offering you a chocolate. Um, What's well, just one chocolate? You know, <laughs> I can start again after I've had the chocolate. <laughs> you know, but, that, but somewhere in my experience, that willful effort, sometimes it has its place. But it takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of energy, and becomes very tiring at times. Um, so or another thing that if we think we have to trust in is you know, our personality, that you know, we are somebody who can really have this together, do this right. You know, I know that as I began meditation, that my whole ideas around being a perfectionist, striving for perfection, came right with me to the cushion. And you know, just really having to get this right, do this right, And again, that was nothing that was very trustworthy. But looking to being with awareness, recognizing this awareness that is natural, that we don't have to create. All we have to do is to notice, to be, to really just be in this moment. And then we just do this as often as we can in our lives, and you know there's different ways of doing this, different reminders that we can have, um, you know from putting up signs around to having a, uh, you know some people have a watch that vibrates to having a mala that one can just every time you remember be aware you just push another bead on the mala, uh, having activities that we do and just that as we begin each activity that remembering to be aware to let be to relax stay interested and be aware and when we start to see these moments then we do find that a deep inner confidence comes. We begin to see for ourselves how awareness is purifying, that it isn't a case of having to get it right to be a better person. What we begin to see is, as we're aware, we start to see the actions that we do in our life that cause harm, that cause pain, that um, you know, aren't helpful. And just that, in in that awareness alone, things will let go. We don't don't need to perpetuate that cycle of suffering. It really helps us to discover the natural purity of mind and inherent goodness that comes with that. Sayadaw Utejaniya, a Burmese teacher, whom I had a great pleasure of doing some practice with, um, he often used the phrase, wisdom does its own work. And that's what really happens as we find that we have a more sustained recognition of awareness. That, you know, that just in the scene, that, that our goodness comes forth and there's not a desire to perpetuate the suffering. And it's nothing we create. It's really natural. You know, it's like a a small child picking up a hot coal. You don't have to tell them to put it down. It happens naturally. And so, you know, as wisdom strengthens, comes forth in our lives, this is what happens. That this, the way that we have of living that perpetuates the cycle of suffering begins to let go. And we find more ease and ease and peace within this whole process. We have to relax in the being aware of the being lost, because our habit can be so strong to be lost, and there can be a way that. At first, we might find when we discover that we're lost, we just beat ourselves up. You idiot. You've been lost for hours again. You're no good. You're never going to be able to do this. Forget it. And we get really hard on ourselves. But then um, there can be a way that we can recognize that in a moment where we discover that we've been lost, we're already present again. And this is a moment of mindfulness. And the mind can really delight and rejoice in this. So this is a helpful place to pay attention to. What happens when you notice that you've been lost? If there is the habit of judging, being hard on yourself, to see if you can just notice. Appreciate this moment of mindfulness, delighting in this. and It it just becomes the simplicity of getting lost, coming back, getting lost, coming back. And it's not such a struggle then. It's like the journey of our lives, the journey of awakening. We get lost, we wake up. We get lost, we wake up. I've also found helpful within this having a sense of humor. It's so easy to get really heavy, grim. Uh, our spiritual journey, the path of awakening, the path of discovering peace, happiness in our own being, and you know, somewhere it's interesting how it can become grim and heavy. You know, it's like. I've seen for myself where it's like even just sitting down on the meditation cushion and like putting on the armor of meditation. And, you know, it's a whole new way of doing. And, you know, it has all of the problems that we face in our lives where there's a way we can hold it lightly. I know that. Uh, I, in my own life, have found humor very helpful and have always been actually attracted to people that helped me to laugh. Um, I've been very fortunate in that way. There's a few people I wanted to mention. One is a chiropractor that I had while I was living in Australia. He lived out in, uh, what do they call Kind of in the bush in Australia, out in the country. Um, he was an elderly man. At least at the time, I thought he was elderly. Right now, we might be about the same age. <laughs> you know, all things are relative. Um, he, he seemed quite wizened up. He he'd been a chiropractor his whole life, and he had some um, well, you don't usually find them uh, techniques in the modern day world. He had you know this stretcher that he would put you on a rack and stretch you out. <laughs> uh, but he had this great technique. He would, you know, as chiropractors can do, he'd get you all twisted, contorted, whatever, and then he'd crack a joke. And as soon as you'd laugh, he'd crack you. you know? <laughs> and there was that's when the body was responsive, was open. And then I met Hovenson. Uh, this Zen master I spoke of earlier. And he, too, had a really good sense of humor. And he had this way where he would say something, get you laughing, and then he'd come in with the Zen stick, and it would just be boom. You know? It was just the way he wielded that Zen stick by using humor. And then uh, more recently in my life, practicing with Mingyur Rinpoche. I don't know if some of you had the opportunity to meet him on his last visit here. But he's this young Tibetan Lama. His whole being is just in a state of delight, joy, happiness. Um, I think he has been called the happiest man in the world. I mean, they've done scientific research that has pointed towards this being true. Uh, And he uses humor so much in his teaching. And so, you know, just I found in teachings with him. I mean, you could think on one level that he's just really lightly talking about life, and yet in the midst of it is coming through this ancient wisdom, this profound truth. And, you know, he has, just in watching him walk through life, it's been a way of modeling how light we can be in life and how much humor helps And it isn't gonna be that these storms are suddenly gonna disappear. But can we be light in the midst of them? And I found this like it is sometimes you just watch the habits in the mind come round and round and round. And you know, there's a way where if you're holding that in a judgmental, heavy way, it's burdensome, weary. We get tired of. It's like, oh my god, here it is again. And yet, I found, and it's a line I heard from the Karmapa, and he said in in a teaching he was giving, smile at your mind, laugh at your mind. And so I just found, you know, if I was getting caught in anger again and again and again, just laugh at it. I mean, it's just so freeing to not take it so seriously. You know, having a sense of humor about it doesn't mean we diss it in a way. doesn't mean we, we dismiss it, but we don't buy into it in the same way. It's a sense of holding this all lightly, playfully. And certainly when I look at, if I look at meditation, um, I have found to venture into it as play. A play of understanding how this mind works. A play of seeing how one can reveal truth. How, just the play of it all. And sometimes it's been like a game. You know, this thing of getting uh, lost and being aware. It's just letting that be a game. Not making it into this heavy thing I have to do every day to discover truth, to be a better person. But just awareness. Awareness. Lost. Awareness. Hold it lightly. Actually, there was both a book and a movie that had a title that I loved when it came out. It was "The Unbearable Lightness of Being," and there's something in that. There can be this lightness of being that <laughs> at times is so unfamiliar uh, that it can almost seem unbearable. But there is this lightness, so. In discovering the center of the cyclone, keeping it simple, relaxing, being aware, staying interested, holding it lightly. I did want to address the fact that at times we can practice in quite a simple way. That for me, these guidelines have taken me through a lot of the terrain of life. But then there are times when there is quite a stickiness in the mind, where it just doesn't want to let go of whatever it's hooked onto. And that there is a time when we may need to use some skillful means. And so just a couple of ways that I found helped to bring the mind back into balance. The first was just being aware of hearing. That I find that because this uh, can quite clearly show the natural quality of mindfulness, that just to sit and listen to hearing, or listen to sounds when I'm quite distressed can be very helpful. It really helps the mind to just have that sense of openness. Just be receiving, allowing, accepting. And out of that, things come back into balance. Another thing that I found very helpful is to go out into nature that just for me, nature has been a place where I have many times in my life felt quite at home, quite at peace. And this isn't the case for everyone. That um, I know, I was once telling someone about this, and they said, "Are you kidding? I'm terrified of nature." <laughs> so, you know, one of the things is we really have to look at what works for us, and. Um, But for me, nature is a place where I find, again, I can come back into balance. You know, to just to go out into a park. I'm learning to do this here in the city. I used to live in the country, but now I'm in the city, and the parks here are great. And just to go outside and sit in nature and just let be, it again helps bring back this balance. I've also find found at times doing metta, or loving kindness practice you know if I'm feeling really distressed, it's not switching to loving kindness to have a better experience because but using it because it is what helps the mind to soften and accept experience and so um in the midst of these whirlwinds of life, just having a sense of softening and wishing for yourself that you can find peace amidst this. And just that intention, just that wish in itself is based in kindness and compassion. We find even when our heart, feels really hard and cold. Just to touch this with this sense of kindness is helpful. And then there's been times where it's really felt hard. You know, just like you're up against a wall and there's nowhere to move, nowhere to go. And for me, at times, it's been a sense of, almost like putting my head in the lap of the Buddha. There's been a sense of surrender, putting down my difficulties, and really you know, just letting the mind rest in a wholesome, helpful refuge. And for me, just the image of the Buddha is this. For you, it might be something different. For me in this there's also been a sense of devotion. And that the, you know it might be devotion as we think of the Buddha and what he represents. It might be a sense of devotion to truth that in these moments of surrender, we're really resting in this devotion in our lives to truthfulness, to surrender into the law of the way of things which is really different from collapsing in resignation. Suzuki Roshi, a famous Zen master, once said, moment by moment completely devote yourself to listening to your own inner voice. This is our journey. And this is what we do in these small moments of awareness. we really learning to trust in these moments, seeing how when there is this recognition that the storms of life, the waves of life, the torrents of life can come through, and there is a stability, a presence, a beingness that is equanimous, undisturbed. It's like space. You know, you can throw things at space, but it doesn't take the space. It simply moves through the space. And this is so in the awareness of the mind that all kinds of experiences can come and go, can move through, and this natural purity of awareness remains the same. I'd like to close this portion of the evening by sharing a teaching from Ajahn Chah. And it's called Let the Tree Grow. The Buddha taught that with things that come about of their own, once you've done your work, you can leave the results to nature, to the power of your accumulated karma. Yet your exertion of effort should not cease. Whether the fruit of wisdom comes quickly or slowly, you cannot force it, just as you cannot force the growth of a tree you have planted. The tree has its own pace. Your job is to dig a hole, water, and fertilize it, and protect it from insects. That much is your affair, a matter of faith. But the way the tree grows is up to the tree. If you practice like this, you can be sure all will be well and your plant will grow. Thus you must understand the difference between your work and the plant's work. Leave the plant's business to the plant and be responsible for your own. If the mind does not know what it needs to do, it will try to force the plant to grow and flower and give fruit in one day. This is wrong view, a major cause of suffering. Just practice in the right direction and leave the rest to your karma. Then whether it takes one or 100 or 1,000 lifetimes, your practice will be at peace. So our part is very simple. To relax, be aware, stay interested. And let the fruits of that ripen in their own time. A lot of our struggling, our strife, comes from wanting it to be different, wanting something other than what is. But looking to see how we can just turn towards this awareness in the mind that can be a steady guiding force in our lives. So I'd like to open it up for questions or comments and anything you'd like to share, whether it's related to the talk or related to your practice. Yes.
3: Really great and it's like, um, I I didn't think that like, letting go of it was, I think kind of confused about that. I'm uh-huh. trying to um, um, kind of sit with it and do all that stuff, and uh-huh. i never thought about like, how to let go of it, raise up your hands, kind of be there with it. Uh-huh.
1: Do you find what that more? Yeah, so for me, in the moments where I've had that sense of just putting my head, in the lap of the Buddha, or surrendering. And it's like feeling like I tried everything I could do, and it's like, wow, that didn't do anything. <laughs> no. And then it's like, okay, so what? Um, but at the, in that moment, how do I say? In that moment, there's a sense of bowing to that which feels greater than than this individual self bowing to the forces that are. Um, It feels, feels like I don't have to hold it up. I don't have to do it. I don't have to fix it. But it isn't a disconnecting. It isn't a sense of resignation. It more takes the mind to a place of just allowing it to be. Let it be like this tree that um, Ajahn Chah was just talking about, or this plant. That you you let it grow as it grows. But your sense of trying to be able to do something, to fix it, to make it better, just let it be. Allow it to be as it, allow it to unfold without a strong sense of investment in it. Does that make sense? No? Well, I mean, yeah, I get all that, but. <laughs> 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 I get like a little bit of the
3: surrender thing because it's just so big and I just kind of like hold it for a little while. Uh huh. It's like I'm just sitting with it and waiting and watching. Uh huh. It's just sensual happy and dull and I like, just holding on to am like you know, not following the story. I actually feel like I'm. Kind of
1: because like, I won't follow the story, but I won't do any of that. And I told that in a public struggle, but I just want a little bit of that surrender, and I just don't hide how it. Uh-huh. Well, you can't force it. Surrender. No, surrender. Yes, no, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You know, it's like you can't say relax, and you just have to relax. Of there it's like it's like taking the pressure off yourself to have to do anything and just giving it away, giving it over. Let it be what it is. There's nothing to do in it. And I guess the, the, the sense of the lack of the Buddha is in that. You know, it goes back to me to being a young child um, and finding that there was so much suffering in life, and yet having a sense that there was something else that was possible. Uh, I remember like there was the, the Moody Blues song that had the line, at, um, and I know one day I'm going to find my own peace of mind. And that kind of had a sense of faith for me in just hearing that line. It it inspired that sense of faith. And so in that surrender, it it has a sense of giving it over to, to what in your own language inspires that place of trust and confidence, but isn't about the small little I, me, and mine. Something bigger than oneself. If I just take the pressure off. Yeah. That's the best I can do. Yes. Sorry, I thought that was hand. Anyone else? Yes.
3: My name is Sharon, and I recall in a period of like it felt like a long period of time of suffering. And not really knowing what you're doing when you're saying put your heaven the lap of the Buddha. What I instinctually did is ask people to be in my life who represented that love that love.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: People would show up and wouldn't ask anything of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I could just be silent and yeah. And be or talk or whatever and this went on for a period of time and, um, and as you're talking I see that that energy that brought people in who represent that energy that beautiful loving unconditional energy so I could be however I needed yeah. to be I didn't have yeah. any answers they didn't have any questions and I could just be and okay. it was an thing on my part and putting my the yeah. That I that's
0: what
1: it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think it is. You know, in my experience too, it was something very instinctual, and it, I, it's like I can feel, feel it in my body when I reflect on it, um, and it's harder to find the language for. Yeah. But that—that that is a very good example. Thank you. Mm. Another way that I experienced it was in the being out in nature. You know, I remember just being a teenager and so confused, upset, and I would just go out and sit in nature and just feel the sun and the wind and you know, see flowers, trees, birds, and it was no pressure to be, to do anything, and that—that's just taking away that whole part.
3: Yes? Yeah. i got a call from a young like, woman who wanted to come and see me you know, a, a, a um, She had like 13 attempts and um, so, you know, all kinds
0: of problems and, and
3: she said, she a sense of humor. I was like, yeah I can't imagine doing this kind of work. I thought you know, it You know, we laugh and cry but you know, we laugh a lot. And, yeah. I thought it was fun. Mm. I just had one time that
1: they did not was <laughs> at the humor. Right. Uh, it doesn't work. It's pretty important. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. I
3: have an experience in a treatment game or uh coding my steps to walk in practice and so i went, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, Jack, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> I I think somebody recently said to me, some line about, oh, it wasn't a fortune cookie they got. The person who learns to laugh at themselves never has anything, always has something to laugh about. <laughs> <Something like that. laughs>
3: Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I've had an experience in the last couple of weeks where I was just stuck with something and was reminded yesterday about how nature can help really me get back and down. And so today I went out to one of our and went to the kayak. They were so windy, and, uh, and so I ended up out of the lake. Was, you know, just being blown around the and just kind of getting into it and mm-hmm. just enjoying the, the force that nature treat me and yeah. just enjoying the wind in the trees and, um, sometimes I, I would try to get, you know, some momentum going and kind of, with the wind coming in my face and I would just be going with everything I had and just laughing. Just,
2: I just <laughs> had to laugh. I just
3: started laughing. You know, I could sense that some of the other people were maybe fighting the wind. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was just laughing, and I would just keep going. Yeah.
1: That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. I think the force of nature too is a really good teacher, because we we see. I mean, there are winds you can't move against. Living in Australia on that beach, I would watch how one day the sand would be there and the next day it would be rock. You know, it's just the force of nature, and that that we think we can be this thing that is gonna be unstoppable. Mm -hmm. The play of life. Thank you. Anything else? Well, maybe we're all ready for this club. Yeah. Where is your chiropractor
3: in his rack? <laughs>
1: Where is he in his rack?
0: Where can he was in Australia? <laughs>
1: I can't quite get the joke. <laughs> Okay, so, um, yeah, as Mark said, that myself and my husband Edwin, who's sitting in the back of the room, moved here last January, middle of winter, drove across the country, memorable event. <laughs> and um, we moved here to help Mingyur Rinpoche, whom I spoke about uh, during the talk, this young Tibetan Lama. He is, he, you know, Year and a half ago, kind of unveiled his worldwide vision. And it is a way that he wants to bring um, the meditation into the world in a way that's very accessible to, for people. That, um, you know, he has set up what's called the Joy of Living programs. Maybe some of you attended some of his teachings or have heard of the, these programs where he's put together DVD material and then we lead these uh, weekend retreats, or the week long, whatever it is, uh, that are him giving guidance and instruction in his joyful way, and then we answer questions. And then in being here, he put Minneapolis as his headquarters in the Western world. So this in itself was quite something. Um, So we have our headquarters here, and we are we have a sitting group that happens on Tuesday. We're right now looking for a venue for having more programs, some of these joy living programs, some other more um, Buddhist programs, um, and uh, we also do retreats around the around the world. Really, um, I've just come back from Brazil, Montreal. I'll be heading off to Russia, uh, so uh, Copenhagen. Um, so. For me, he's a teacher that, you know, I've had lots of really good teachers in my life. Um, Wonderful teachers, many, many wonderful teachers. And I think what really just struck me is one, he's been really helpful in my own practice. And, you know, just seeing the depth of his own understanding, being able to be around him and to see how he is in the living of his life has been truly inspirational. And then it's just the way that he wants to bring meditation into the world, you know, and that, you know we know in our lives how much it can benefit us, and that all of us, you know, many people can benefit from this. And so he has, you know, ideas about bringing it into all walks of life, and that was just the vision that I really got behind. You know, that really inspired me. So um, that's why we're here and what we're doing.
2: Yeah. Thanks Bye. so much for, for yeah. being here. You're welcome. Hopefully we'll see you again after all the travels Sometimes maybe in early spring or late winter, we can schedule you. will try. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.